John chapter number 10 this morning. I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God in John chapter 10. And as we are working our way through the gospel according to John, and where we're at in the gospel, and I want you to understand as we're working through this gospel, we're preaching the gospel a lot. And if you're saved, what should that do for you? Well, it ought to just charge you up and remind you of what he did for you. Then it ought to charge you up to go do something for him and to go tell somebody the gospel. But it ought to encourage you. And I want to talk to you today that, that of course, if you're lost here today, you can be saved. Let me just say this. If you don't know if you're saved today, you can be sure before you leave here today that you're, or you are saved. But if you're saved today, I think we can give you some ammunition to live for the Lord and uh, something that will help you down life's way. If you found your place in John chapter 10, I invite you to stand. We're going to read three verses, verse 28, 29, and 30, and then we're going to pray and you can be seated. But I want to, and we're going to read those verses. That's our text for today. And then we're going to fill in the gap. If you were here last week, you realize we dropped off at 16, verse 16. So there's a gap there. We'll fill in the gaps in the introduction. But I want to read verse 28, 29, and 30. The Bible says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I want to preach on this morning on the double grip of grace. On the double grip of grace. Would you help us pray? Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord God, for letting us be here this morning. Thank you for the good singing. God, thank you for the congregation the choir and the special singing that has lifted our hearts and our minds to the lovely Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for those that are here today, God, that have come under the sound of the preaching of the Word of God. I pray I do not take that for granted. I pray that I do not take advantage of anything that would try to, try to do anything that would be harmful to anyone. But I pray today that I still continue in the theme of the singing and lift up the lovely Lord Jesus. I pray that I would uh, uh, expose the word of God for what it says and what it means, Lord God, and God to preach it with clarity and conciseness. I pray, God, if there be one under the sound of our voice that does not know you and the free pardon of sin, I pray today would be the glorious day of salvation. I pray today would be the day that they cast their self fully on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today if there may be one that's discouraged Oh, maybe there's one, Lord God, maybe downtrodden. Lord, I pray today that they'd find encouragement to serve you just a little bit longer and to go forward from this place and to keep serving you, keep going on and living for you. And God, we ask you to now help us now, your servant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. In John chapter number 10, we have seen several things already regarding the sheep and the shepherd. And we looked last week and we made the case last Sunday that he is the good shepherd because nobody has came like he came and nobody calls like he calls. But thank God nobody cares like the good shepherd cares. And we saw that last week. And we're going to get to verses 28, 29, and 30 in just a moment. That is our text verse. But let me just give you some background information. Verse number 17 through number 18. 
we see Jesus and he begins talking about his death. He said, I laid down, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. He begins talking about the gospel. He declares the gospel. He declares his death. He says, I am going to lay down my life. Matter of fact, from this point of where we're reading, in just a few months from here, he is going to lay down his life on the cross. And I thought about that and thought, first of all, well, in reality, laying down his own life is not that big of a deal if we're looking at humanly speaking. You could lay down your own life. You could take your own life. You could give up your own life. That is maybe not as big of a deal as some would maybe uh, say. Maybe you wouldn't think of that being a big deal. But when we think about this, uh, uh, where they would say that the Jews and the Romans crucified him, they murdered him. And even uh, Peter said they nailed him to the cross and though God, they, you, their hands are the ones who may have done it but he is the one who laid down his life. They did not take his life. They did not murder him. Oh, he gave up the ghost is what the Bible said. He had escaped being arrested many, many times. Uh, he had walked right through the midst of them several times and avoided being arrested and if he wanted to be avoided that night in the Garden of Gethsemane he could have, been a, he could have avoided it all again. If he didn't want to die, he, 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 might, he could have not died. He's God. He can do what he wants to. But he lays down his life. It's a big deal, not humanly speaking, but that's a big deal, a divinely speaking, that God would lay down his life. And we think about why he laid down his life. Uh, for a wretch like you and I, that he would lay down his life for somebody like me. He should have let me die in my sin. He should have let me die without God and without hope in this world. He should have let me bust hell wide open. But I thank God that he laid down his life on the cross of Calvary. And if that's not the big deal, uh, the next statement that he makes is a big deal. He didn't just lay down his life, but three days, hallelujah, three glorious days later, he took it up again. He rose from the dead. And my friend, that's a big deal. That's a big deal humanly, and that's a big deal divinely. He got up from the grave. Thank God he did not stay dead, and he won't stay gone. Uh, he is alive forevermore. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with me and talks with me and takes me on my way. Thank God he's alive this morning for our justification. But Jesus gives the gospel here in verses 17 and 18. He talks about his death, his resurrection. But then we see in verse 19 through 21, we see there's a division that the gospel calls. I want to remind you this morning, church, that Christ come to cause division in the world. He did not come that we might get together with all the religions of the world and just get along. Oh, Miss Peck, Miss Karen Peck, why can't all God's children get along? Well, the answer to that is this. God's children do get along, but God's children don't get along with de the devil's children. Amen. And just because everybody may claim Christianity, God, Christ did not come to us to sit around a fire, hold hands and sing kumbaya. Oh, my friend, he came and put a sword of division. And I'll tell you what that division is. You're either lost or you're saved. You're either an unbeliever or you're not. There ain't no in-between on this thing, friend. There ain't no I might be saved and maybe not saved. 
saved. No, no, no. You either are saved or you ain't saved. You either are a believer or unbeliever. And that's the division that he calls it. That's what happens here in verse number 19. There's a division among the Jews. Some of the Jews say he's got a devil. He's part of the devil's clan. He's doing the work of the devil. The other crowd said, there ain't no way he's a devil. He couldn't have, he couldn't have gave somebody their sight back if he was a devil. I mean, that's reserved for the Messiah. That's reserved for God. Only God can give sight to a blind man. And so there's a division of believers and unbelievers here in verses number 19 and verse, through verse 21. And he says, so we see the division. And they'll say his death is what caused that division. His gospel is what causes the division even in the day we live in. I've got to hurry. But then we see in verses 22 and 23, the dedication or even, I put here, uh, the December of the story. Uh, the dedication, it said in verse 22. It said, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And if you try to study up much about the feast of the dedication in the Old Testament, you won't find anything about that because it is not an Old Testament feast. But what you will, if you look at history, what the Feast of Dedication is, is what today they would call Hanukkah. And it was an a, a, a extra biblical feast uh, and a celebration, a holiday. But, but it tells us that it was winter. This, this feast that he was in, uh, again, this time was celebrated in December. It starts around December 19th on our calendar. And this verse tells us it is in the winter season. What does that mean? We're in the middle of the winter. Or we're in the winter season now. And, uh, and we're feeling it, aren't we? And uh, it's coming in later tonight and tomorrow even more so. And thank God I don't live in Kansas City. Thank God it ain't going to get negative 20 around here. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the south. Amen. But anyway, um, uh, but we're in the winter season. What is winter? Winter is a rainy season. Winter is a dark season. Winter is a dreary season. Winter is a cold season. And, and what he is telling us here uh, as far as timeline goes he is letting us know that this is the winter time in just a few more months we get to Passover in the spring and that is when Jesus is going to die on the cross we're just a few months from the crucifixion and may I say in the season in the uh, physical timeline they were in the winter time in Jerusalem but may I say spiritually speaking they were in a winter season they were in a dark a dreary a cold place they were they are on the cusp of absolutely rejecting the Savior of the world. I mean, just a few months from now, uh, yes, he's going to lay down his life, but at that same time, there's going to be a crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be on our children. And they are in a cold and dark and dreary place. They're in a December time. Verse 24, I see the doubt the doubt that comes up in the story. Verse 24 says they came the Jews around him. Well, let me say verse 23, he walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. All that is is a covered place where a lot of people would be gathered. So he, he, he gets into a crowd of people in a covered place out of the rain, out of the cold, and he gets into that place where a bunch of people are and the Jews surround him. Verse 24 says, and they said unto him, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us, Plainly, I said here we see the doubt in the story and I believe there's a double meaning here of the word doubt here. We got to understand first of all this is not a sincere question. Jesus had not been the one that caused them to doubt. Jesus didn't make them doubt. If there had been any, if anything, that, if Jesus has been anything about his identity, he has been plain about who he is. 
He has left, he's really left no, nowhere to that. Matter of fact, in John 9, when he heals that blind man, that's the kind of the stamp. That's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will. That's kind of the final say so. Hey, I am God. That's who I am. When he healed that blind man, he put away all doubt of who he was when he healed the blind man. And so he had not caused any doubt whatsoever. He had been plain about who he is. And watch this. These men willingly rejected Jesus. These men knew who he was. They knew what he was there to do. They willingly, they understood exactly who he was. They knowingly rejected him. Hey, listen, they knew who he was. They knew his claims were plain and true. So the doubt here really is not because Jesus made them doubt. It's because they have chosen to not believe the claims. And Jesus says in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and he believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness. And here's what he said, I told you, and you don't believe me. I showed you, and you don't believe me. My walk and my talk are matching up. You know exactly who I am. You have chosen not to believe. So we see the declaration in verse 26. But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and know, and I know them and they follow me. Here's what he says. He says, you don't believe on me. So you're not part of my fold. You don't believe on me, so you're not one of mine. There's another declaration of the division. There ain't no in-between in this thing. You either sheep or you ain't. You either part of his fold or you're not. There's no purgatory in the afterlife. But watch this, there ain't no purgatory in this life either. There's a bunch of people say, well, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm No, you are saved or you ain't saved. And tonight, this morning, maybe this morning, you walked up in here and you said, I don't know if I'm saved. After this morning, it's going to be clear. It's going to be plain. It's going to be concise. And I pray the Holy Ghost of God would show you whether you're saved or whether you're not. And if you are saved, I pray you walk up out of here and live for Jesus. But if you're not saved, I pray you stop being not saved today. Amen. I pray this be the last day that you're not saved. The security of the believer is now mentioned in verse number 28, 29, and 30. Maybe the most concise verses in all of our Bible to tell us about how secure the believer is in Christ. Maybe the most concise place of Scripture, we find how secure the sheep are with the good shepherd. And these two verses, now some don't believe in the security of the believer, and that's fine, that's their prerogative. They can believe the Bible or not. But the Bible plainly teaches and plainly declares that there is a security in being part of the shepherd's fold. Now, I want to note this just a minute. We're going to get in these verses, and we're going to just break down these verses for what they say. But I want you to understand, a sheep can never become a goat. I think I need to make that statement in the hour that we live in, because we think men can go to change to be a woman. And we think women can change to be cats and dogs. And there'd probably be some furry claim to be a frog somewhere. I'll tell you the day a, cat, a kid at our school meows or barks at me or ribbits down the hall claiming to be an a, be a animal. Uh, the day, the day, I don't know what I, I, they'll be kicked out for sure. But I'm telling you, this is the craziest world we've ever lived in. It's the only world we've ever lived in, but it's crazy. So I think I need to say that one more time. A sheep can never become a goat. And a horse can never become a cow. 
And a cat can't become a dog. And watch this. A child of God can never, ever become a child of Satan. Yeah, ma'am. The only metamorphosis that can happen is a child of Satan can become a child of God. Thank God for that. We'll get there in just a minute. Listen, Christians may backslide. Christians may, uh, may lose their joy. They may use their, lose their usefulness. They may lose their fellowship with the Lord. But my friend, they can never perish. I'm talking about believers this morning. Can never lose their eternal life that God has given them because it is eternal. Now prodigals. They might wander to a far country. Prodigals may finally live in the pig sty. And they may soil their garments. They, might, uh, they may uh, ruin their reputation. They may destroy every vestige of decency. But nothing can change. There's a life flowing in their veins. There is eternity in them that Christ gives. And Christ gives to those that believe on him. Now, our joy can be impaired by backsliding. You lose your joy of the salvation the Lord gives. But your destiny is never in doubt with the Lord. Listen, there's been a lot said to the contrary. But the eternal security of the believer is taught within the Scriptures. And when a man is saved by the grace of God, that man is saved. Amen. The God who saves you is the God who secures you. And he is the God that keeps you. And he has saved me and he's he's kept me. And my friend, the same God that saves me and keeps me is the same God who saves and keeps all those that come to him in repentance and faith. Look at this. And I want to break down some words here in the text. And look at what the Bible says. Number one, we see the promise of eternal security. Verse number 28 says this. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Notice this last phrase. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Listen to me. Christ makes no false promises. He don't make no empty promises. And he says this. There is absolute security in him. Listen, to deny the security of the believer, watch this, is to call God a liar. To say that Christ cannot keep a man saved is to say in Christ himself is a bald-faced liar. And to say that Christ cannot uh, keep a man saved is to declare that his promises cannot be trusted. Because he said, neither, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Listen, I love this. I said my title this morning is The Double Grip of Grace. There is just something magnificent about the picture of what Christ is painting here. He says this. He said, I got them. He said, I've got them in the palm of my hand. I got them in the palm of my hand. But then he said in verse number 29, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. There's a double grip of grace. Now you might break my grip you might get that bottle, that bottle top off out of my hand. You may get that. But I'm telling you, friend, there's a God in heaven that's got a grip stronger than any man or any did or any kind of entity of mankind could confide. There is no angel in heaven or a demon in hell that can break the grip of grace that God has got around us. 
What a picture the Lord gives of a double grip of grace to think about our Savior and, our, and the Father uh, uh, wrapping his own almighty hand around us. We are enclosed in Christ, in God. We're in the double grip of grace. I see the promise. He said, nobody's plucking them out of my hand. You ain't getting them out of my hand. Then I see the present that he gives. Notice he said this uh, in verse 20, I give, I give, I give unto them eternal life. Listen, that word give means this ain't of works, friend. It's not wages, it's gift. See, a gift is a present. And a gift is not paid for by the receiver of the gift. Listen, the, the giver of the gift is the one paying for the gift. And I know when I get to Romans, when I go to Romans 6.23, y'all know I say it over and over again because I want y'all to understand the, the gift of God is eternal life. And so there's a gift here that God has paid for. And listen, if somebody can lose their salvation through sinful works, then salvation is based on good works. But Jesus said it's a gift. Jesus said, not just here, but all throughout the Bible, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. Listen, the scripture opposes any idea that you can work to be saved or to stay saved. The scripture opposes any idea that, that, that salvation is anything else other than by grace through faith. That, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Why does he go into such detail in the book of Ephesians in that letter to that church that, that you would think just saying that it's of grace by grace through faith they would have got it but he knows God knows he knows he knows that we'll try to muddy up the waters of salvation. He knows that we'll try to complicate the things of God if he don't explain it so he goes in detail to explain to us what does that mean by grace through faith. It means it's not of your own workings. It's not of your own doing. Why? Because if it was of you you'd boast about it. You watch that crowd. You watch that crowd who thinks they work for salvation. They're the most proud, proud, pharisaical, sadduceical, bunch of Pharisees and a bunch of religious uh, juggernauts. Uh, and I mean, good. They look down their long nose at everybody. Hey, listen, that's what they're, they're working. They're, they're proud of what they claim they've done to earn their salvation. They won't be proud of the Judgment seat of Christ. They won't be proud at the. They, they won't make it. Judgment. They won't be proud at the the white throne judgment. We'll get there in just a minute. But we see the present. Salvation is either by grace a gift, or it's by works wages. It can't be both. You can't have both. You can't be a. It can't be a gift and wages at the same time. I don't know how you get paid on your jobs, but if you go to the uh, if you go to the uh, your boss or however you get paid, if it's, bi if it's bi monthly or whatever. But on payday, your boss came to you and said, hey, we gave you a gift this, this week. Oh, yeah, is that right? And he gave you your regular check. That ain't no gift, friend. Now, us preachers, we try to get churches to write down love offering in the memo because we're trying to skip away on some taxes. <laughs> but that ain't no love offering. Amen. Thank God for y'all taking care of me, but it ain't no gift. Are you listening? I'm working. I'm, it's wages. 
It's way, listen, and that boss says, I'll give you, I got you a gift, I got you a gift. You say, no, so no, sir, no, sir. I, got, I earned them wages. I worked them hours. I did the work I was supposed to do. I earned them wages. So you can't be a gift and wage at the same time. So we see the present that he gives. Watch this, and he says, here's what the gift is. It's eternal life. Listen, your words in your Bible mean something. And he means eternal life right here. It's interesting how the New Testament uh, uses different words here. So, sometimes you'll hear the word like, and throughout the New Testament, like everlasting life. And that's a good word. But everlasting means it refers to, it refers to the duration in time. Everlasting means it's going to last forever. But eternal doesn't deal with time. It deals with the quality of the life that you get. Yes, we look at eternal and we think that's synonymous with everlasting, but there's a reason God uses that different word. Sometimes you see in John 3, 15, everlasting life, but John in John 3, 16, eternal, you see those two words. Why are they two separate words there? It's because they have two different meanings. Close to the same, but not the same. Everlasting means forever and ever and ever and ever, but eternal means the quality of life given. What did he say? What did Jesus say in John 10 and verse number 10? He said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the eternal life that God's talking about. Here's, here's, the, here's what that means for us. God's sheep are not only assured of a life that will never end, but thank God, we are living the life of God. We have eternal life in us. We're on lofty, higher planes. When God saves us, we don't just have a life, life that's going to last forever. We got the best life you could ever live when Jesus made us part of the fold of God. Hallelujah. We talked about that on Sunday night. Doesn't mean you're going to have all the things that this world has to offer, but you'll have things that are out of this world. The present, the promise, then the possession. Eternal life. If it said everlasting, we can make the case that it means it, it starts when you die. Physically, and your soul and spirit going to live forever, all that stuff. But that's not what it's talking about. The life, eternal life doesn't begin some years down the road, but it is our present possession. It is, he has said, I give unto them eternal life. He says, I'm not, he doesn't say, I'm going to give them eternal life. The gift of God is presently. It is the present possession that we have right now. The moment you are saved, you receive this gift of eternal life. Listen, to say that you have eternal life and then make it temporary is a contradiction. Right? I've made that claim before here. I've made the point here. If I come and give you something and say it's yours forever, you can have it forever, you've got it right now, it's yours forever and ever, then I come back and I grab it back from you, y'all would say I'm an Indian giver. The reality, I'm a liar. And God said in Titus 1-2, in, in hope of eternal life, God, which cannot lie, God's not lying about this thing of eternal life. Possession. Our possession here is mentioned in the present continuance tense. Meaning the moment he gives it to you, it's yours then and it's yours forever and ever and ever and ever. You don't have to wait till you die to find out if you're saved or not. That's the craziest bunch of stuff. I, I mean, people ain't never read their Bible to believe that kind of stuff. They've just listened to somebody spew off at the mouth some religious garb is what they've done. You read your Bible, you're never going to find anything in your Bible. You've got to wait till you die to find out if you're saved. No, you can know for sure right now 
presently have assurance of your salvation. There is the possession of eternal life. I like this phrase that's here. We see the promise, the present, the possession. I like this phrase like that says in verse 28, they shall never perish. They shall never perish. Now, you don't have to know Greek, know your Bible, all right? You don't have to know Greek, know your Bible. But in, in the Greek language, double negatives do not work the same way as in the English language. I know most of us don't know that because we're from over here in Gordon and Murray County and wherever you're from around here. We don't know much about them double negatives. We use it all the time. But in the English language, double negatives cancel each other out. But not in the Greek language. Greek language, double negatives emphasize the negative. They make it more emphatic. They make it more absolute. So when you say never, never, in English it might cancel out. But in the Greek it just means never, never, like a whole lot of never. It means like a big load of never. Amen. It's emphatic. And so that's what this word shall never, shall never perish. It is a double negative. It is saying this, that it is emphatic. You will never, shall never, 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 never perish. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. I can, I can hear. Hallelujah. Man, I'm saying, listen, means for this phrase shall never, it means exactly what it says. Shall never. Then I see this, the power. Talk about that double grip of grace. He said this in verse 28. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Look at verse 29. He said, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Here's the idea. Ain't nobody. Ain't nothing. There is nothing going to pluck you out of the Father's hand once you're in there. Once you get in that double grip of grace, there ain't nothing or nobody going to get you out. That means you. That means your family member. That means your preacher. Watch this. That means the devil. <laughs> and all the devils of hell. No man. Any man. Ain't Nothing. Here's what it's saying. There's no man and there's no power. Here's the emphasis behind it. My father, my father which gave them me is greater than all. The only way you're going to get inside this double grip of grace to get me out is you've got to be bigger and badder than the, than the Lord himself. You've got to be greater than God the Father if you're going to get in there and pry me out of the grip of grace. Nothing can take away the salvation that is gifted to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. God is holding on to us so tightly with a power that nothing can take us out of his hand. There is a security in our salvation, not based on ourselves, but based on God's keeping power. It's not based on your staying power. <laughs> it's not based on you being able to keep on, hang on to him. It's about him hanging on to you. <laughs> Amen. One song in our red book talks about I'm clinging to him. Well, whether you are or not, he's clinging to you. Amen. <laughs> he's clinging to you. I've looked through these verses. I've, I've just picked out some words here, but I want you to understand why is this so important? Why is this so important? Well, for the Christian, here's why it's important. If you're going to be spiritually healthy, 
you're going to have to believe in, in the security that he tells us about right here. Here's why. What kind of child would it be every day they go home, they don't know where they stand with their daddy? Have I been good enough to stay in the family? Oh, I've had a good day today, so maybe I'm in the family. Oh, I've not had a good day today, maybe I'm kicked out of the family. What kind of child would it be every day to not know from day to day if they were part of the family or not? Boy, that's not a healthy life to live, is it? Boy, that's not a healthy life. You're never going to have any kind of confidence. You're never going to be anything productive for the Lord. If you're thinking one day I'm saved, one day I'm not saved. Maybe this morning I am saved, maybe tonight I am not saved. Or maybe this morning I ain't saved because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but tonight it got a lot better, so now I am saved. And it's in and out and up and down and hey, hey, all that kind of stuff. Your spiritual health, your spiritual health, it demands us to believe what Jesus said, not, not what some man said. That's, a wrong, that's what's wrong with this world. That's what's wrong with so many Christians. They're so anemic and they're so ignorant. And don't take offense to that word except get right about it. As they're so ignorant about what the Bible said, they just go off what so-and-so said and so-and-so said. Well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. Well, Jesus said... I give unto them eternal life. And I don't know about you, and I really don't care, but I'm going to take Jesus' word over everybody's word. Let God be true and every man a liar. So for your spiritual health, you must believe this. Not only that, for your spiritual productivity, you must believe this. I said it, but you live that defeated mindset. Ain't no one living for God. The reason some of you don't do anything for God now is because you're still not even sure if you're saved or not. You're in and out, up and down. One day I feel good. Today I feel good. I'm at church. Maybe tomorrow I won't be at church. I'll be at work and it won't be good no more. I'm telling you what some of his problem is watching these stupid TikTok, I'm those TikTok influencers and YouTube preachers and all this garbage on social media. They some good stuff about it. And we're trying to make our footprint a little bit bigger on that thing, trying to get the gospel out through the word of God. There's a bunch of garbage on there. It's got folks confused about their salvation, got confused about what the Bible says about what God has already declared and decreed about salvation. And you need to get off of that and get in that book and get in the Bible and know what God said about it. You're not going to be productive until you get said about your salvation. I've never seen anybody living for Jesus consistently that was always doubting their salvation. It's just not going to happen. I'm telling you, when God, when I remember it, I, just as much as I remember my salvation experience, I remember the day I got assurance of my salvation. I was in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And that's what I'd been listening to what everybody said about up and down and in and out. And if I'm part of the family, am I not part of the family? Have I done enough today to stay in part of the family? I was up and down, all this kind of stuff. And I remember that night on a Thursday night. I don't even know what was going on in the rest of that service. Probably was a bunch of stuff we could not endorse here, just to be honest with you. But it didn't matter what was going on in that service. I, can, I, can, if I, I don't even know if all the buildings are still there, if that camp property and all that kind of stuff. But I, if that building's still there, I could take you in the corner of that building where I crawled up on my knees in the corner of that building all by myself. And God showed me from the Word of God. And I had my Bible out. And God said, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. And I know it. Not because of what I felt when I got saved. Not because of what happened after I, but because the Bible says I'm saved, I'm saved. Because the Bible says I'm saved. And I went out of there assured of my salvation. And it wasn't long. I started, I mean, immediately I started looking, what does God want me to do now? What's he want me to do now? I know that I'm saved. Now that I'm sure about it. Hey, I'm going to walk with God. And listen, I'm telling you the only way you're going to be productive in your spiritual life is to know that you know that you know that you're saved this morning. It's necessary for your spiritual health. It's necessary for your spiritual productivity. But it's necessary for soul winning. 
You're not going to tell nobody about a Jesus that can't even keep you saved. How's that work anyway? Are you saved? No. Well, you can be, maybe. If you believe on the Lord and do all this stuff, what, what's, how much you got to do? Well, I don't really know yet. How long you got to do it? I'm not really sure about that either. How long are you saved? Well, I'm not really sure. You ain't going to tell nobody about Jesus if you don't have confidence of his keeping power. Amen. I mean, listen to me. It is necessary. Now, before we close, we gotta, we're, we're almost done. We've got to answer a question, though. Who is a believer? Who, who, who is a believer? Here, here's, here's what I wrote down. A believer is one who has received Jesus Christ as Savior by faith. If we're not careful, we'll complicate this thing. But if we're not careful, we'll make it too shallow. Here's what a believer is someone who has totally trusted Christ for their salvation. I mean fully. Listen to me, it is not, it is not Jesus and anything. It is totally abandoning yourself on Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says in John 3, 3, that person who does that is born again. 2 Peter 1 and 4 tells us that person has now a, a divine, has been made partaker of a divine nature. Watch this. That person can never be lost again. Now, the question arises. But what about the people who look saved? They even claim to be saved. They've said at some point in their life they got saved, but they have no interest in spiritual things. I think I can make a case from the Word of God. They've never been saved. Now, can we backslide? Sure we can. But listen to me, professing Christ is not the same thing as possessing Christ. Just because someone says they're saved, just because someone says they're a Christian does not make it. So don't forget Matthew 7, 22 and 23, Jesus said it like this, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I have, have we not prophesied? In thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Jesus said, so they had professed him. But Jesus said in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. He didn't say, I once knew you and you lost it. He, he didn't say, I used to know you, but you left it. He said this, I never knew. You, you may have prophesied. You may have thought you got cast out some devils. You may have thought you'd done some wonderful work. But God, Christ said, I never knew you. That's what Jesus said about it. And claim they're saved all they want to. They can tell us about the emotional experience they had. They can talk about prophesying, testifying, preaching, teaching a lesson. They can talk about all the stuff, the good things they've done. Jesus said, I never knew you. John said it like this. In the closing of our Bible, the last five books of your Bible are written, or the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 
in Revelation. And in 1 John, John, on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, writes this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. That don't mean they just left our church. That, that means they claim they left the faith. There's a big movement going on today of the deconstruction of faith. There's this, these millennials and whatever's after millennials that are claiming they are deconstructing their faith. They're claiming they're walking away from the faith. They may be walking away from the church, but they're not walking away from the faith because they never were in the faith. That's what John says. That's what the Bible says. Now, 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 but they had a good testament. I'm, but the Bible says. But, 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 but I mean, they even preached a good. But, but the Bible says. Hey, y'all, we're Bible this and Bible that on purpose. Amen. I said it this morning as we opened Sunday school. We're people of the book. That's what we are. What does that book say? And he said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Adrian Rogers said this, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. I can't say that 10 times fast, but I'm going to say it one more time. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. People who make a false start and fall all the way, they didn't lose their salvation. They never had it. You can say you've accepted a new life, but if you prefer that old life, that's a contradiction. Some man said it like this, to say that you have a new life, but still prefer the old life, is like an American communist who says Russia is the best country to live in in the world, but I'm going to stay here and rough it out in America. That's what we're happening today, ain't it? I'm not getting political, but I'm Bible. When a man is saved, he's saved forever. You may be a disappointing Christian. You might grieve the father, but once a son, always a son. Once you're in the grip of grace, you're in the grip of grace. That's what Jesus said. I just believe Jesus. See, there's a division given in this text. Those that believe him and those that don't. Those that are part of his fold and those that are not. Which one are you? You say, well, that's good, but I need a little bit more than that. Well, the last thing and I'm done. Verse 30, I and my Father are one. Just in case there's anybody, I don't think there is anybody in here, but, my, but just in case there's anybody. I might be listening and say, well, that's what Jesus said, but, you know, He's just a man. He's just a good teacher. And no, he's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He's God. And he says, and this is what he tells those Jews, it ain't just me saying it. That'd be enough. Because I and my Father are one. And he's talking about specifically what he just said. This thing of eternal security, he said, I'm just telling y'all what the Father's already decreed. God's already made this thing so. He's already established this law and it ain't going away and I'm just telling you, we're one in this thing. We are, we are one in this thing. And so there, there this morning, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I am eternally secure. I am infinitely secure. Why? Because Colossians 3 said it like this. Our life is hid with Christ in God. I'm hid in Christ. My life is hid in Christ in God. 
hit with Christ in God, a double grip of grace. I wonder this morning, maybe there's some that you just doubt. Or you're just not sure if you're in that grip of grace. You're just wandering here and there, floating in and out, up and down. And the reason all of that is because you're not sure where you stand with God. I'm going to tell you this. If you have never, ever repented and believed the gospel, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that means you have never forsaken yourself and said, I'm not going that way. I'm not believing in my own works. I'm not believing in my own righteousness. I'm not believing even in my own wretchedness. I'm, I'm repenting of myself. And I'm turning. I'm casting everything on the Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. There's nothing good in me. I've fallen short and come short. Every time I try to get up, I come short of the glory of God. And I cannot save myself. So I'm going to turn unashamedly to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and place my faith in him. Does that happen? You don't have? If not, you don't have to wonder this morning, you're not saved. Now for some, it might have been some booming, explosive, emotional something. For others, it wasn't. But it's not about all that. The night I got saved, and this ain't because it happened to me like this. It's because the Bible backs up what happened. You know what I did? I, I, I stayed in the bed. I didn't even crawl up. Listen, I didn't even come to an altar. Watch this. This is going to hair lip somebody. I didn't even bow on my knees. I laid there, flat on my back, looking towards heaven. I placed my faith in him. I believed on him and for the first time in my life the peace of God and I, you know what I did I rolled over and I went to sleep in the peace of God and my wife got saved them folks in that subdivision probably think well they knew he was crazy anyway but they they, they heard the awfulest noise. She's a shouting and crying all over the place. I finally got the message on my phone. Call me. We'll back. Big cap letters. Next message came through. I just got saved. I took a lap around Rome High School. I did. I kicked out the traces, buddy. I took a big old lap around that big old high school. Then I came back and called her. I got to shouting in that classroom. What I'm trying to tell you is, now that I got saved, you know what happened? I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God saved me. The afternoon that my wife got saved, you know what happened? She placed her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God saved her. And one of us just rolled on and went to sleep. And one shouted all over the house and crying and weeping. See, it ain't all about that. It ain't all about the what happens after the fact. It's about what did you, did you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't care what you've said about it. God said, it ain't, about, it ain't about what you said about it. You might say, Lord, Lord. Just because you profess it. The question ain't about professing it. It's about that you possess it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him? Except they believe.
And so they call on him in whom they've not believed. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This morning, are you saved? Are you part of the fold of God? Are you in the double grip of grace this morning? If not, today's the day of salvation. And if you are, then maybe, listen, just because you have doubts don't mean you're not saved. But maybe you've had some doubts about it. And like it was for me at 14 years old in Black Mountain, North Carolina, God gave me that full assurance because of what the Word of God said. And maybe this morning, the Holy Ghost of God has stamped some assurance in your heart from the Word of God. And maybe you just want to thank the Lord. And now you can go on and serve Him. Now you can go on. Stop being up and down. Stop being wishy-washy and serve the Lord. But either way, whether you're lost and need to be saved, whether you're saved and need assurance of your salvation, or whether you're saved and just need to, to thank God for your salvation, this message is for you. I believe without a shadow of a doubt these folks need to be saved. I believe, I know there's some children that are coming to the understanding of the gospel. There's some children that are coming to the understanding of their sin. I know they need to be saved. But there may be some adults. Oh, you've had some kind of emotional something. You've had some little some experience somewhere down the road. But I'm talking about you've never placed your faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today would be the day of salvation. I would not, I would not leave here without getting it settled. Again, maybe there's some in here that got some full assurance from the Word of God this morning. You're never going to be spiritually healthy. You're never going to be spiritually productive. You're never going to be a soul winner till you're sure that you're saved. In the double grip of grace. So, well, I'm going to clean up first. There's some things I need to change in my life. He's playing the old hymn just as I am. That's the problem. You ain't never going to clean up enough. You're never going to be good enough to come to Him. You're just going to have to cast yourself on Him just as you are. Cast yourself alone at the feet of Jesus. So, well, I had a preacher pray over me one time or I had my parents pray over me one time. No, 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 no. It's not about what your preacher's done or your parents' done. If you placed your faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know for sure that you're saved this morning? Do you know for sure? <clears throat> Just to be clear, for you to be saved, you must realize you've sinned against God. You must realize you've broken the law of God. You must realize that you cannot save yourself. Not, no amount of good works in this world could ever save you. You cannot save yourself. You must realize that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And you must believe on Him alone for salvation. That's it. That's it. Don't want to complicate it. Don't want to make it too shallow. I just want to give what the Bible says.